Thanks to Sprout Social for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Sprout Social offers businesses an intuitive platform to help build meaningful relationships at scale on social. To learn how your brand can create real connection, visit SproutSocial.com/fool today. It's Monday, June seventeenth. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio. Ron Gross, how you doing? I'm good. I'm I think good. we I think we both had a good Father's Day. It was really nice. Our respective Father's Days were good. The weather was looking bad, and it turned out wonderful. Yeah. Although, am I the only one who napped on Father's Day? That's, that's the only one. Maybe the only one in this room, <laughs> oh. but clearly not the only one. That's you know. That's always a good day when you can nap. <laughs> um, we've got retail news. We've got restaurant news. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to start with the deal of the day, and that is Pfizer. Buying Array Biopharma in a deal worth nearly eleven and a half billion dollars. Array Biopharma, and if you're a shareholder, congrats because that yeah. stock's up close to sixty percent <laughs> on this buyout. Uh, they do a bunch of things. I'm assuming that Pfizer bought Array for the cancer treatment portfolio. Absolutely, and it it's consider, uh, continuing a trend we've seen it lately with Merck, Eli Lilly, Bristol Myers, several acquisitions in the cancer space. Um, Array specifically has two um, drugs in their pipeline um, that focus on metastatic, easy for me to say, melanoma, um, and I think you know that is the the primary reason um, that Pfizer got interested here. Obviously, an eleven billion dollar price tag, as you said, a sixty two percent premium, um, pretty pretty uh, pretty um, steep price to pay, but. You know, cancer is is really where a lot of these companies, these bigger companies, are going. They're moving away from the heart medicines and some of the other things from the past, and focusing on cancer. And I've also seen a lot of acquisitions in the gene editing space, gene therapy as well, um, looking towards what the future of medicine will be. Um, so it's a it's a big deal. Um, it won't add to earnings anytime soon. I think we're looking at 2022. Typically, when you see an, an acquisition of a let's call it a normal company, a non biotech company. You love to see the company say uh, it will be accretive, an additive to earnings immediately. Sometimes not immediately, maybe a year. In this case, it's biotech, right? They're they're not profitable. They won't be profitable for a while. So this is not going to add to anything for a while. But obviously, Pfizer thinks it's worth the price. Don't you think that Pfizer made? Like sort of, they went big with the offer because there's a little bit of debt um, that they're assuming as part of this eleven and a half billion. But uh, Array was, you know, not a tiny company. They were probably, you know, to the tune of like five, six billion dollar market cap before this buyout. So I'm assuming that even though they're not profitable, Pfizer saw enough good things that they thought, let's make this quick, let's go in. And as you said, maybe there's a little bit of keeping up with the Joneses here with the other deals you mentioned with Merck and company. Yes. Now, it's very difficult to properly value biotech companies, especially when they're in the clinical trial phase or have maybe one or two drugs in the marketplace. So, it's hard to know what the right number is, but they clearly, like, they came to the hoop. They wanted they wanted to get this done. I don't think they were nickeling and diming. They they paid what appears to be a very fair price. So as you say, let's let's just let's just make this happen, and uh, and move forward as a combined company. Whoever you are listening right now, however your weekend was, your weekend was probably better than Target's. <laughs> Because on Saturday, Target suffered a global point of sale machine outage for more than two hours. 
that quite simply means the cash registers were not ringing. They had more problems on Sunday, where the target locations could only accept cash or gift cards. Um, if he weren't out of the country, uh, Jason Moser's head would be exploding, because this goes directly <laughs> against the war on cash. Uh, Target says this is not a security issue. This is not a hack. This is an internal technology issue. This is, <laughs> and they say the two things were unrelated, which is a that's a double whammy. That's a that's a bad two days um, to have two technology related issues, not only impacting sales but impacting people's opinion of how Target is <laughs> is taking care of business here. You know, tar- Target's in the age of where they're spending heavily on technology, right? They, to, to compete with the likes of Amazon for you know same day fulfillment and online uh, store, in, you know increases to their online business. So it doesn't give you a lot of confidence, really, when you see that they, they just keep continuing to have these problems. Um, they're unrelated, you know. It, it, they fixed it quick. The credit card things theoretically has nothing to do with them. It was the credit card processor, um, but it doesn't instill confidence. It really doesn't. And I have to believe we're going to hear more about this story because, to your point, I I, I get the urge, uh, and I think this is the right instinct on the part of Target management and in particular their communications team to come out as quickly as possible with some explanation, particularly when um, the 2013 data hack mm. at Target is probably still fresh enough in sure. people's memories that they had to get out as quickly as possible and say, here's what this was not, and that's fine, and they did the right thing there. But to your point, I'm not even a shareholder, and I want to know more about what happened here. Is this a vendor with some faulty tech? Is you know, and also if you're a retail analyst and you're looking at this saying, okay, I mean, yes, they had the problem in the past in the same way that Home Depot had a problem. Once you know, pretty much every big retailer has had some sort of sure. tech issue. But I look at this and say, okay, well, I want to learn more about exactly what this was because maybe I don't own shares of Target, but I own shares of Walmart or Amazon or something else, and I want to make sure this isn't going to happen elsewhere. For sure, for the from the credit card perspective, that. That seems to have been a problem with with their vendor NCR, um, who had a, an outage at one of their data centers. So, I don't think I can fault Target for that, except make sure you're partnering with the correct people. Um, the the not being able to make purchases uh, for two hours um, on Saturday is 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 a bigger thing, and it seems like that's their issue, um, and they better get their ducks in a row because it's, investors only can handle this every literally. Blue Moon. If there's, if it's constantly happening, or not even constantly, as you said, if it's still fresh on people's minds each time another thing happens, people are going to walk. Well, and you look at all the investments that Walmart has made in e-commerce, and I would argue that they are decently ahead of Target in that regard. Mm-hmm. Even though Target has bumped up their e-commerce sales, you know, yeah. each quarter to mm-hmm. to a nice degree. But look, just think about the average person who works during the week. They're doing a big target run on Saturday. Again, this is a point of sale thing. So there, you know, <laughs> there are just thousands, tens of thousands, arguably, of people who are going through their Saturday routine. They're getting all their stuff, and it's not until they're ready to leave and pay. Well, I guess pay then leave. Right. Um, <laughs> that, that they figure out this is going on. I mean, that's oh, that's they, annoying. Um, 
But now, from a stock perspective, right? It, let's just, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say they do get their acts to act together, and this doesn't continue to uh, happen. Only trading 14 or 15 times earnings. That's compared to Walmart at 22, Costco again in the 20s somewhere. Uh, all the dollar stores trading around 20 times. Theoretically, a cheap stock if they continue to put up good comp sales and increase those online sales that you just mentioned. This could be an interesting play. Quick shout out to Sprout Social for supporting today's episode. What makes people love the brands they love? Well, they like it when the cash machines work, but in a word, connection. Social media is where they look for that connection, and Sprout Social gives businesses a unified solution to find, engage with, and nurture their audiences through social. If you've got a small business, you might want to check it out. If you're Brian Cornell running Target, uh, <laughs> if, you know, if you saw Twitter over the weekend, <laughs> Target was getting burned. In one intuitive platform, you can see and respond to every message, join the conversations happening around your brand, and turn rich social data into actionable insights. More than 25,000 organizations around the globe use Sprout to create real connection. So, no matter the size of your organization or the scale of your social efforts, Sprout has you covered when you need to deliver and measure valuable content, learn deeper insights about your audience, and nurture relationships with your customers. If you want to learn how your brand can create real connection, just go to SproutSocial.com fool today. That's SproutSocial.com fool. Papa John's in the news today because the pizza chain dismissed KPMG as its auditor and hired Ernst & Young. Earlier this year, KPMG said that Papa John's did not maintain effective control over its financial reporting. And just at first blush, this doesn't appear to reflect well on Papa John, does it? No, but I can't imagine that. Well, I shouldn't say I can't imagine. They're probably not auditor shopping, right? That's what this looks like. You're not going to give me a favorite opinion. I'm going to go elsewhere. That just it looks on the face of it sleazy. If it's true, it actually is sleazy. That's why I can't believe it actually is the case. Um, they probably it'll be great to see what the audit opinion looks like next time it comes around to see if that material weakness is mentioned. Um, but if it's not, it could be just that Papa John has now gotten their act together because you know you would expect them to correct the problems that their previous auditor identified. So either way, I think we'll probably not see that called out again in the next audit report. But it looks a little weird, especially with all that Papa John has been through um, over the last year with all the controversy. They don't need any more controversy. Just make pizza. <laughs> see. I- Another example of of you being um, more charitable than me. Um, I'm not going to accuse Papa John's management of anything nefarious here. I will simply point out, however, that the last couple of years, this is the gang that couldn't shoot straight. And so, similar to uh, Target, and I hope we get, and I expect that we will get more information about what happened with Target, I expect we're going to get a little bit more color on what happened here. And I hope it's nothing nefarious, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was something that sort of hinted at, nah, no, we, we, we're doing a little bit of shopping. We want uh, someone who's going to give us the benefit of the doubt, even though, uh, just from a stock standpoint, from a running the business well standpoint, they haven't really earned the benefit of the doubt lately. No. One other thing, though, that does give me a little bit of comfort is, the big investment and the involvement by Starboard Value, who I 
used to know very well back in the, in my hedge fund days. Uh, quality folks, not going to do anything nefarious, not going to do anything to hurt their investment or hurt their their investors. Um, so I think this is probably okay. Get Shaquille O'Neal out front and center. <laughs> yeah, I mean, back in March, for those who missed it, Shaquille O'Neal joined the board of directors, uh, took ownership of a bunch of franchises, and this—I mean, that's a such a great rebranding oh, so opportunity. Great. Come on, make that happen. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from David Burton, who writes: I'm a relative newcomer to investing, and have found the Motley Fool podcast to be invaluable, and thus. I became a member of your stock advisor service. Welcome, David. Awesome. Uh, I'm learning every day. Keep up the great work. I often hear the guidance to not sell when a stock falls and to hold it for an extended period to ride out the drops, which seems sound in general. But I keep asking myself, if I don't believe a stock will recover as fast as other investments are likely to grow, then is it not wiser to accept a loss and reallocate the capital to a stock that is likely to grow faster? Uh, I have shares of Swedbank that have been hit by a money laundering scandal. Oops! <laughs> they lost 35% of their value with uh, within two months. The underlying business is likely to recover, as it is a well-capitalized bank that I believe in in the long term. But for the next two to three years, I believe the stock price will struggle to beat the market. I could hold and eventually not realize a loss. But is it not wiser to sell the stock at a loss and move my capital to other stocks that I believe are likely to grow faster in value than my current holding? Mm-hmm. Um, your perspective would be greatly appreciated. Great question. Yeah, for sure. I feel like he actually answered his own question in a roundabout way. Um, you know, you, you, whether a stock has a gain or a loss on it is absolutely irrelevant to whether you hold that stock or not. It all is about the future, and in this particular case. It sounds like a. I'm not sure you want to be an owner of a company involved in money laundering. Um, you got to think that through. And b. It sounds like he's saying he thinks it's going to be dead money for the next two or three years, or if not completely dead, certainly not market beating money. So, at any given time, you want your portfolio to be allocated in a way that gives you the best fighting chance of beating the market. And if you're kind of admitting, for lack of a better word, that this piece of your portfolio will not beat or will be dead money, there's absolutely nothing wrong at all with selling it and reallocating that capital to something that you do think will perform better. Every case is individual, and so one other thing to consider is obviously, you know, what sort of cash on hand do you have? Because it is the sort of thing where if you have cash on the sidelines that you're looking to deploy, then it makes it at least a little bit easier to say, okay, I'm just going to leave this here. I'm going to park it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to allocate that other cash. Um, but yeah, I think part of it depends on the time horizon because. You know, as you said, when it when you're highly confident that it's dead money for a couple of years, then uh, then maybe what you do is you pair the sale with the sale of a stock that has a gain, and you minimize your taxes. Oh, that's a good idea too. Yep, and you also want to look at what you think the potential of that investment will be after the dead money period ends, because it's really all about average annual total return when you get down to it. So, if that's not going to earn you a lot of money for two or three years, and then in year four you're going to get a pop of thirty percent, well, then divide that thirty percent by the three years it took, and you're you know you're earning ten percent or less on that investment. Maybe you could do better elsewhere. I kind of want to know more about the money laundering. Yeah, that's interesting. 
<laughs> Brian Gross, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.